1: Get 80% off your impression
0: kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Full Court Press has the latest news and opinions from men's and women's college basketball. Our hosts are John Fanta, who calls games all around the country for Fox Sports and others, and Kim Adams, an analyst for Fox and ESPN, and a former D1 baller who never saw a three-point opportunity she didn't like. If you don't believe me, check her Twitter
0: page. Take it away, guys. It's Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams. Hope you all had a good Memorial Day weekend. I'm John Fanta on the west side of Cleveland. Kim Adams is in the philadelphia area in pennsylvania and kim how was your mdw
2: i had a good mdw i like that little abbreviation there john Um, i'm fortunate enough to be within driving distance of my immediate family so i was able to head to the new york area for the last few days where we all safely stayed at home quarantining together Um, but at, at this time we know family is so important and we're really starting to see what are the most important things in life. So it was, it was a good weekend for me, John, and I know we're, we're happy to have you back. I know it has been a bit of a, a challenging time for you and your family, as I understand you, you recently lost somebody very close to you.
0: Oh, that's right, and, and thank you for saying that, Kim. Uh, my grandfather, Papa... Uh, as I know him, John Coughlin, uh passed away at the age of 88 uh, last Tuesday morning, 4.07 a.m., uh, May the 19th. And I'll tell you, um, death is seen as such a dark thing, and there's a fear around that word. Uh, but my papa gave me a sense of closure, gave my mom a sense of closure, and it was an honor to be with him up until his very last breath, Uh, you know, even in his last moments, he taught us a lesson. He's my inspiration for my love of sports, for who I am today. He's been my best friend, and I know he's in a better place now. He lived such a beautiful life, and to be with someone as they passed away and passed on to another world, uh, I fully believe that that man's in heaven because he was such a great guy. And his best gift is his daughter, my mom, and watching them embrace each other, hold each other's hands for his last 82 hours of life uh, was my, that was how long my mom was with him, 82 uninterrupted hours. Uh, And I joined her for periods throughout that and and the final 12. It was, it was such a, an emotional, powerful, but uh, a, a lifting experience to know uh, that we got closure, and it was quite the week for our family. We had a socially distanced graveside service on Saturday after a funeral mass. He was a proud Irishman. He was known as the West Park Mayor here on the west side of Cleveland. Uh, his favorite bar even had a, a chair with a an engraving on it of his name made that, that came out this past Saturday. So it really was a powerful week. I'll miss him. I'll love him forever but i couldn't be more thankful to be his grandson and he was simply the best
2: wow thank you for sharing that john i know i know that's not easy and i wish i personally could have met papa but i can tell he was a great man by the impact that he's had on you and i know we've talked about Um, Just how special those relationship with grandparents are. I spoke with my grandma today for 40 minutes and like like Papa, she turns into tunes into all of our broadcasts. Um, So, so sorry for, for what your family is going through, but it really, you see the silver lining maybe of being able to be home and spend that extra time with him. Um, And I'm just, I'm grateful that you were all able to be there with him and to be together during a tough time.
0: To be there with him for his final two months was just, it was amazing because it was the blessing in disguise. At his hospice facility, he was in hospice for the, the last two months. There was one or two visitors allowed a day, socially distanced, and we were really lucky to have that privilege. So I got to see him uh, about once or twice a week, and then in his couple of final days, they lifted that and allowed us to be in the room with him and 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 to get that sense of closure. So, you know, I told him, I, I said, I'm sure that they've got iTunes and Fox Sports <laughs> 1 and 2 in heaven.
2: <laughs> he'll be tuned and in. And we need
0: him watching and listening. He'll, we know he'll be tuned in. So, awesome. you know what, it was a blessing. And and during these times, you you make the most. You, you make the most. And I was very lucky to get a sense of closure in these times of, of COVID, which, you know, these times of COVID, Kim, We were reminded over the weekend, um, I was getting ready for my my grandpa's funeral and whatnot, and I just come across on my phone, I hadn't been looking at a lot of texts and emails, that Patrick Ewing has COVID. On Friday, he announces it. Georgetown puts out a statement. Very fortunate uh, that on Monday, uh, that it was uh, announced by Patrick Ewing Jr. that his dad is back home and recovering, and they thanked all the doctors, Thank goodness that Coach Ewing is is back home. He is a class act. He's a great guy. And at Georgetown, he's trying to get that program turned around. But just so glad to see someone who's 57 years old, who's certainly not young. And we know what this has done to the older population, but that Patrick is back home. And our thoughts and prayers are with him. He's a wonderful guy and a legend in every right. So we, we never doubted, though, Kim, that, Pat Ewing would fight it. He fights anything.
2: He does. And I, I think it's just such an interesting dichotomy with this with this awful disease, John, because here we are one day talking about a return to sport, a return to college basketball, a return to NBA basketball, and then the next day you're hit with the news that one of the best players in college and NBA history has this disease. So it's almost it's like, what's important here? You know, it almost it almost brings everything back into perspective. Is it absolutely necessary that the NBA returns in July and august? is it Is it safe enough to do that? And I think the Patrick Ewing news kind of woke some people up again, and I know we're still seeing infuriating images and videos from all over the country, of people who seem to think this is over. Um, so when you see the news like that of, of somebody who resonates with so many, it kind of shakes you back down to earth a little bit. Um, but obviously we're, we're praying the best for Patrick and his family. We actually share the same birthday. It was always cool for me growing up as a Knicks fan, August 5th. Um, so always been a big Patrick fan and, and hoping the best for him and his family during this challenging time.
0: Well, I'm glad the coach Ewing's home. I'm also glad that our that our listeners know that your birthday's August 5th.
2: I will accept they gifts. Could, they can
0: start to get the wheels turning.
2: <laughs> two two months out. Two months out. People, let me know uh, if you need two, the mailing address right. or accept Venmo. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs>
0: start start planning. Start planning. I, I'll tell you what. It reminds us though. This virus isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to resume sports, we have to do it knowing that this virus isn't going anywhere. I mean the the amount of talk that ewing's announcement got on friday just showed how powerful this virus is and the types of hurdles that we are going to have to deal with if we're going to resume normally which is certainly in the works but what is the college sports landscape going to look like this fall and beyond What's it going to look like knowing that this pandemic is very much present? And what are the types of contingency plans that are being worked out with scheduling, locations, and so much more? Well, we have just the guy who knows the ins and outs of college sports and this pandemic and how they're intertwined. He has covered college basketball for a couple of decades. Now you can find his work on ncaa.com over at March Madness on Twitter, and he's at the Andy Katz on Twitter giving you the best college hoops and college sports coverage. It is the one and only Andy Katz joining full core press with Fanta and Adams and Andy it's great to be talking with you here you've had the unique perspective from different doctors, different administrators from schools and from the NCAA throughout these last couple of months doing a weekly Q and a series. With those medical personnel and administrators to try to talk about college sports in these times of the coronavirus. So I'll start with this. As you see it right now, what do you think about college sports starting on time this fall?
1: So it's amazing how this has changed dramatically, um, really, since we started this series. And we're on week number nine, I believe nine uh i think our next one this week will be week number 10 and um it's amazing how things have changed because when we first started i thought there was no chance that uh you know things were going to happen this quickly uh and now we're getting to the point we're actually talking about you know potentially having fans in the stands and what that could entail and you know i did a piece on uh, big 10 network uh, related to that about what could happen with fans being in fans where Gene Smith, you know, athletic director of Ohio State, at one point was talking about, you know, can't see how there could be college athletics without fans. Uh, and now there's talk of, you know, anywhere from 20,000 at a minimum to 40 to 50,000. And all this has happened because of this expectation that we're going to be in a better place with testing um, the fact that we've had pro sports both internationally and domestically in some form or fashion come back uh, and without you know a major incident yet, but also the acceptance that um, there's going to be someone who tests positive, and that's also going to happen on a college campus, so how do you handle it? And now we're seeing what, what we were discussing on our social series. I'm actually seeing it in the way in which university presidents are putting out their, their – um, the potential proposals for the fall, and I just saw one from Colorado as an example. Their president puts out, which is exactly what we talked about on our shows, which is essentially having like a COVID dorm, where if someone tests positive, you're going to that, you're extracted from your, you know, um, your your group, your dorm. You're going to this one facility. That's where you're going to quarantine, and then once you're deemed healthy, you can get put back into the population. And that's exactly what the athletic departments are going to have to do and have all been discussing as well, that if Trevor Lawrence, you know, and, and not to just single him out, but just use him as a big name at Clemson, if he were to test positive, you know, on game day or day before, or whenever, you know, he's not playing. He's moved from the team. He's quarantined. Next quarterback comes in and plays. They'll test people around who he was with contact trace. If anyone else is positive, they'll be removed, but you don't have to shut down the entire team, the entire sport, um, but you've got to be prepared that if this were to happen, that you've got to deal with it and move on, and, you know, there could be, a, obviously, a break and an interruption to, to you know, that particular player and, and that team, but you don't have to shut everything down. That's the major difference when we, when we all started this thing with Rudy Gobert as the first player that, that tested positive, and we had to shut everything down.
0: Andy, how feasible do you think all this is?
1: Well, I will just say it's going to take a lot of effort, a lot of cooperation. I do think it's feasible, um, but everyone's going to have to cooperate. And they're also going to have to self-police. Purdue President Mitch Daniels, you know, I saw his uh, op-ed in the Washington Post, and it was discussed in that one where they were talking about every student would end up getting, like when they arrive on campus, a little kit. And in the kit, we'll have a thermometer. And, you know, student athletes and students are going to have to be, uh, you know, vigilant. I'm not saying they need to be snitches, but they're going to have to be vigilant of if you do not feel well, you cannot go in the public space. And that's imperative that uh, also happens in the athletic world. It's just bigger than you right now. And, you know, I, I put this out and I said this on Paul Feinbaum's show on the SEC Network. And, you know, and of course, certain segment of the population was pushing back. When I said that, we're in a different era in the short term where it's not tough if you play through illness or, you know, that they used to always be the mind, oh, you know, you know he, he wasn't feeling well and he went out and he still scored, you know, 30 points or he threw three touchdowns or whatever. No more. Not, not in the short term, not this year. If you do not feel well, you do not come to practice, you do not play because it just the ramifications are just too great if something were to happen like that and someone were to test positive.
2: Andy, with all that remains uncertain, probably the most recent definitive news we do have in the college sports world is is that the NCAA announced that starting June 1st, They will allow for voluntary workouts for all sports. And we're seeing conferences and schools starting to respond to that. The SEC announcing as a conference, they'll allow athletes back starting June 8th. Uh, The ACC has said they're going to leave that up to the schools. We've seen Louisville say they will also allow athletes back on that June 8th deadline. Just what were your thoughts on the NCAA's decision to start allowing some voluntary activities to begin in the coming weeks?
1: Well, they had to because we're seeing different states are at different stages. And that's the other thing that's a dramatic shift in the mindset of the NCAA, which I think, and I'm not just saying this because, you know, they're one of my employers. I mean, I think people have to recognize that there has been a a shift in mentality here where they're not just going to wait for everyone to be on the same page. That's always been the mantra with the NCAA, you know, Uh, we're going to just do all this together, and that's not going to happen. You know, a a couple weeks ago, I would have said for sure we were going to have some schools in particular conferences that just wouldn't be playing, and others would, and they weren't going to wait for them. Now I'm just feeling more and more confident that, for the most part, everyone's going to be on board. You know, we're seeing the Michigan president kind of make a statement where, um, you know, he's not as confident about happening, but I just find it hard to believe that – Not that he would jeopardize public safety if there was certainly more of an issue in Ann Arbor than Columbus, but it's hard for me to see if Ohio State's playing and Penn State is playing, that Michigan wouldn't be playing, especially in Michigan State. So I, I, you know, and the same thing out West, you know, Oregon and all these other schools, uh, you know, I still feel like they're going to play and I can't see where UCLA, USC, Stanford and Cal don't. Uh, And that's the other thing, guys, that that I thought was a little bit of a, a little, I don't know if I'd say misinformation, but. It wasn't the full story. When the Cal State system made this announcement a few weeks ago that they were going, you know, mostly online, everyone immediately interpreted that, okay, San Diego State, Fresno State, San Jose State, you know, uh, Northridge, they're not playing this year. When, first of all, it was mostly online, and if you read it, it was that there were going to be some majors that still will be in person, so that allows you to have some students on campus. And, you know, the athletic departments have had time and time again where they've been – a lot of times they are the only population that is on campus during breaks and vacations and stuff like that. And that's actually much more of a controllable group if you have a smaller group of people, obviously, to deal with and test and trace. Uh, and also those schools are different than the UC schools. They're cash strapped. They're commuter schools. And it's so much harder to control that population when you know most of these students are going back and forth to their homes uh, and, and not staying on campus and not dealing you know, in a controlled environment. And so uh, that that was not a trendsetter initially. I think a lot of people thought it would be, and it didn't end up being. But, you know, I, I, Kim, you were a college athlete, and so you know that it's going to be very difficult to limit, at least initially in this first phase, all the socializing. You haven't seen your your teammates for three months, and you want to get back and get together, but they're going to have to be really – stringent on this in this first phase because they don't want an outbreak to happen they don't want it to backfire on them and so when they come into these small groups in the weight room and the training room and on campus however they're going to eat they're going to have to be disciplined and listen to whatever the regulations are going to be on a particular campus to make sure that they do the right thing so they don't jeopardize it for the the ultimate goal which is to have you know full practice and full competition uh, when we get to uh you know august and obviously into september
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, your your teammates, a lot of them are your best friends, and haven't seen them in months. You're gonna have to monitor, you know, who's in which rooms and how close are they. So a lot to iron out, as you said. Um, And Andy, you talk about, you know, how many people are involved in these decisions as to when things are going to return. And you mentioned it a little bit with coaches going to have to adjust to not, you know, no longer saying, "Hey, keep playing. You're not feeling well." What are some of the other big challenges that you see for coaches, whether football, basketball, um, as we start to see somewhat of a return to play?
1: Well, first of all, it's going to be interesting, especially in football um, because you have the numbers, the math numbers, but also, uh, and I don't want to you know, say anything because it's not just on age. It's also on your physical you know, ability, you know, if you are, If you're way overweight, you know, I mean, uh, that could be a big issue. If you have underlying health conditions, I think there are going to be a lot of coaches that are going to have to just self-check and say, okay, is this safe for me to be in this environment? Am I going to be more virtual? Am I going to be, you know, uh, further away? Uh, If I'm over 70, I mean, there's a lot of coaches that fit that uh, that are going to have to sort of police things themselves and say, you know, what's best for me to be involved in this also, um, you know, touching. I mean, they just, you know, your player comes to the sidelines or in practice, you want to show them what to do. Uh, I think at least in this early stage, it's going to be much more of showing them from four to six feet away. And will the coaches, at least in practice, at the initial stages, and I'm talking about for football, soccer, volleyball, field hockey, you know, the sports that are in the uh, in the fall, are they gonna be wearing masks? Um, I'm my gut and this is where I was on Feinbaum, a lot of fans didn't like hearing this because I think we can get to this in a minute on the fan aspect, but I think also you're gonna see, even though you know, the majority of sports that just round off except for volleyball are outdoors, I still think you're gonna see coaches wearing masks, or at least the majority of them, because especially if they wanna get closer. Uh, and, and, and sort of, um, you know, in, in their teaching and their coaching and want to instruct, uh, you know, where it just, you can't help it. You're, you're talking and, and, and spit comes out. I, I just think you're going to see more masks, uh, at least in that sense, in the early stages in August and into September for coaches. And that's going to be a big adjustment, um, you know, on how they deal with their players. But I think it's going to be something that they're going to have to do if they want to make this work.
0: Andy, let's bring this back to college basketball. What are you hearing as to how the virus is going to impact the world of college hoops?
1: Well, a couple things, you know, John and Kim, first of all, and this is another one that has not been discussed as widely, but I want to, I'm want i glad you guys are doing this because I want to keep getting this out there, is that all these schools that are now uh, announcing new academic calendars that are ending in th- at Thanksgiving, um, that is for the general student body in person uh, when you're talking about, you know, however many 20, 30,000 students it'll be on campus. Basketball players, men's and women's traditionally spend a lot, and Kim knows this, they spend a lot of time as the only people on campus in oh, the yeah. holiday season because everyone else has gone home. Uh, and that's usually over Thanksgiving and over Christmas. So that is still going to, everything I've been told, that's still going to happen. Now that's not being widely discussed because it's so far away from what we're talking about right now. And, but those, that population is still going to be on campus. Cause once again, it's a smaller group. You're talking about 15 uh, women's players, 13 men's players. It's a much smaller population that you can control at that time of the year. Uh, what I am waiting to see though is my gut, and I don't, this is just once again, my informed opinion, because those athletes are not going to go home up until, let's say, whatever that's going to be, December, you know, 17th, whatever date that is when they have, you know, my gut is we are going to see right now. It's like, I think a mandatory three day break for Christmas. I think we could see a seven to ta seven to 10 day break of, Nobody on campus, no games, no practice. Uh, And the reason I say that is, so during that December time, while they want to uh, obviously avoid people going back and forth uh, for their homes in such a a short period, they're also going to use December as a massive sanitation and cleansing to get ready for second semester. And so the last part of that population, even though they're going to be constantly cleaning during everything, uh, you know, that's going to be, I think, another time. And, and you know, so I, I'm waiting to see as schedules come out, do they create a longer break? Uh, because once again, just like they don't want the student athletes, excuse me, the students going home for like literally three days of Thanksgiving and coming right back, I don't sense they want the basketball players who are going to be there for a couple of weeks into December, then just going home for Christmas for literally two or three days and coming right back. Give them a week where I think on the back end of that week, you're going to have to test them again because now they're coming back into that bubble. So you're going to have to test them. Uh, you know, look, I hope we're in a different place, obviously by then. I hope we're closer to a vaccine, better treatment, no masks or what have you. And we all hope that, but we don't know. And so at that period, I think you're going to see at least a reentry phase of testing that'll probably happen for the general student body when they come back in early January as well. So, that's the other thing to sort of look out, uh, you know, when we have these, the the scheduling that's going to take place at that time. The other thing to keep in mind also is, so the November games, uh, you know, everything I've been told they're going on as scheduled, except the question will be what happens to games that are outside the mainland. So there's the Maui Invitational, which as of now is being planned as playing, uh, you know, in Maui, but with cost and all those kinds of things and very, a lot of fans obviously and boosters like to go on these trips, you know, we don't know what travel is going to be like. And so there's, there's definitely some contingency plans being discussed. Uh, the battle for Atlantis, big time tournament, obviously, you know, in the Bahamas, are there going to be uh, quarantine rules either going to the Bahamas or when you return from the Bahamas. And so that could be an issue, For that tournament? Do they look at a mainland option, which I'm hearing, you know, they don't want to, but they're certainly at least being discussed. And then there are the tournaments that, you know, both of you, I know I've seen you at, you know, in uh, Madison Square Garden and Barclays, the neutral court tournaments uh, that go on in November and December or the neutral court events. The question there will be do you still hold those events in New York if there are no fans? Uh, You know, part of the whole reason of renting out the garden in Barclays is to have fans and if there are no fans allowed is that cost effective for those organizers to rent out madison square garden barclays for literally two teams that are playing with no fans uh and we don't know if there'll be no fans but that's certainly a possibility so they're having a look i know as a plan b just in case we're at that point
0: well and to follow on that andy there's a world where the Providence Friars are playing all their games at Alumni Hall and Seton Hall's playing at Walsh Gym.
1: Right. I mean, that certainly could happen because why would you spend and rent uh, the Prudential Center if you're Seton Hall uh, and, you know, the dunk or take it another step, Georgetown, you know, uh, at the Verizon Center or St. John's at the Garden. Um, you know, a lot of those biggie schools that play in pro arenas It it, it may not make sense. Now, we could be at a point then where you are allowed to have fans, and I hope we are, and that was my other point, that people should look at that photo from 1918 where at a Georgia Tech football game, fans had masks on. People don't want to hear that. They don't like it. No one loves wearing a mask, but that might be a compromise or a condition to putting in 1,000, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 fans in any kind of large gathering. I mean, right now you cannot have large gatherings like that. So. You know, we're hoping you can by then, but if you can by then, it may be because, you know only if you have, uh, you know, some form of either a mask or some social distancing and spreading everyone out. So even if they allow a percentage of fans, those schools are going to have to decide, is it worth it for us to rent this facility if we're not going to make that money back in any kind of gate receipts or anything like that?
2: So much to figure out. A lot of great points you raise, Andy. Let's let's look forward a little bit to how NCAA Hoops is all fitting in with the NBA right now. The NBA is obviously trying to figure out what the heck they're going to do. As a result, the NCAA has extended their deadline for student-athletes to withdraw from the NBA draft indefinitely. So we have no idea what that deadline is right now. It had been June 3rd. What are some of the big names, the most impactful names that you're still waiting to hear on in terms of, you know, these are the players who are most going to impact how good that college team is whenever the season returns?
1: So, first of all, uh, from what I understand, the probable drop-dead deadline is probably going to be July 1st. Um, The NBA still, as we're taping, has not announced the movement of the NBA draft. But nobody I know thinks it's going to be on June 25th, obviously. That's less than a month now from where we are. Uh, so I fully expect the draft to move to either September or late August. But the problem is you can't, you can't have the NBA draft withdrawal deadline, uh, you know, whatever two weeks before that because now you're into school, especially with a number of these schools now starting August 10th because they want to get that semester in before Thanksgiving. There's no way. There's no way you can have a withdrawal date once school has already started. So I think we're going to see probably a July 1st drop dead deadline. Secondly, there is talk of like a virtual um, uh, combine, whatever that means, uh, you know, for these players that have tested. There was some chatter, and maybe this will happen, of of, do you bring some of the draft picks to Orlando if that's where the NBA ends up doing their – You know, their their bubble, Um, you know, I I doubt that because that's just more people to deal with. So I think it'll be some virtual. So if I'm if you're a player and you don't know for sure that you're in the top 10, I don't see how you stay in the draft this year because we don't know if there's going to be a Euro League. We don't know what the G League is going to be. You know, these kind of leagues that are not a top priority uh, are not are, are very shaky right now. And so, you know, your status – now, yes, if you're in the first round, you'll get guaranteed money, but your status of what is going to happen to you next year is very – you know, it's just very shaky. And so, if you don't know like – I'll give you a good example. Like, Aluka Garza. Uh, I talked to him right at the beginning of this pandemic. He did not sound like someone who was going to stay in the draft. He hasn't withdrawn yet. I'd be shocked if he did because he's not a lock for the top ten. You come back, be player of the year, lead Iowa to a Final Four. Why would you go and and end up maybe in the G League? Maybe you know, I mean, you don't even know if there's going to be a G League because of where we are and all that. So, I you know, I, I think a lot of those players, if they're listening to the right people, they will come back. It's obviously a year like none of us have ever experienced, and finish whatever year they're going to have in college basketball because. We're, you know, fairly confident that we'll have something of a season. Uh, I am. And, uh, you know, whereas if the NBA doesn't start till December, which could happen if they restart here in the summer and they don't start again until December, um, you know, what, what, you have no knowledge of where you stand over the fall. And so I think it's going to be really unpredictable for a lot of those players. And I expect a lot of the guys that are not top 10, top 15 to return to college basketball.
2: How does that impact the coaches right now, Andy? And maybe some conversations you've had with them, because you know a lot of these coaches are waiting to hear decisions that they may now not hear for another two months. So how does this add another layer of complication when it comes to building their rosters, looking to acquire some more transfers? The incoming clashes. What kind of wrinkle has that added for the coaches?
1: Uh, a huge one. It's a tidal wave because. <laughs> you know, they don't know. Um, you're right, Tim. I mean, you know, they don't know what's going to happen with their rosters. Um, I mean, I get a sense someone like Fran McCaffrey at Iowa, he has a pretty good sense that Luke is going to come back, but he doesn't know a hundred percent. But, you know, someone like Dotson at Kansas, uh, Isaiah livers at Michigan. These are players that uh, are not locks for that, you know, top 15, top 20 in the first round. Uh, yet they could be players of the year in their respective conferences, or at least compete for that first team and all that. So, um, you know, but, the, the, but if you're Bill Self or if you're Juwan Howard, uh, you certainly want those guys back. You're not going to get someone who's equal to that value or their experience. So you're going to have to you're going to have to at least wait it out. And that affects there's a whole you know that also affects this transfer portal, this transfer market uh and you know and by the way a lot of guys thought that i thought foolishly they thought that they were going to get like um you know the one-time waiver is going to go through when clearly it wasn't going to go through and it's not going to go through until at least the earliest of fall of 21 and so you know players have been taken and, and moving to different rosters with there's no guarantee that they're going to have a spot at least to play next season
0: Andy, as we tape here on Tuesday, May 26th, the big news of the day in college basketball, St. John's stretch forward LJ Figueroa is in the transfer portal. He was testing the NBA draft waters. It was thought that he could be back for St. John's that was the most likely scenario. But the dialogue between the staff and Figueroa it decreased in recent weeks. Now he's entered his name into the transfer portal, although professional options are still on the table. That being said, Andy, Zach Braziller, our friend and colleague, reports that schools have been in Figueroa's ear that he would be able to get a waiver if he transferred based on the coronavirus's impact in New York City. Now, Andy, the coronavirus is going to be a reason on many waivers, it one would think, in the transfer realm, which is crazier than ever. What do you make of that report today that schools are telling this kid that the impact of COVID could be a reason for him to get immediately eligible?
1: Well, you know, I don't know his case. Um, you could argue that New York City and New York State, uh, because uh, it shut down earlier, and with a hotspot, actually may be better off than other parts of the country a couple of weeks from now, uh, because even though they're not in as far along in terms of their phases, you know, they may be on more on the other side uh, than some of these other hotspots. So, look, if you're going to use COVID-19 as a reason to get a waiver, um, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how you use it. Uh, you know, Just because someone was in a hotspot and they flee it, uh you know should we definitely grant him what if what if lj figueroa goes to art i mean I, i don't know why it's the thought of this because of mike anderson but what if he goes to arkansas which right now is having a hot spot or alabama which is having a hot spot you know so you're leaving one hot spot that was a original epicenter to another one that's you know peaking right now so you know how you define that that's going to be really tricky for them um you know, I, you know the other one in the Big East, as you and I have talked about with Mac McClung, is interesting because with Mac, you know, already I saw like a poll about, you know, his final four and his list and this and all that about where he's going to play next year. And it's like BYU, Texas Tech, Auburn, I think maybe Memphis or something like that. Um, there's no guarantee he gets, gets a waiver. I think they think he's definitely going to get a waiver. But, you know, he... Uh, was in the lives in or from Virginia. So it's not like you could use Corona. Because, yeah. Why would he, why would he get a waiver Andy? Well, I, I mean, unless there's something we don't know, um, then I don't understand it because you can't, you really use Corona because you're not leaving your home area. Cause he's from Virginia and he was at Georgetown. There was no coaching change. Patrick is still there. And obviously we're all thankful that he's out of the hospital and doing better. Um, and then, you know, maybe there's an ill relative that I don't know about, but usually that means you're transferring back home to visit with that Ill, Ill relative. And if you're leaving Virgi- the Virginia, DC area, that's not the case either. So I don't know, maybe they've got, you know, other issues from, you know, his time at Georgetown that we don't know about that they have not made public. But based on those three main things going on right now, I don't see how he gets a waiver. And also it's not the end of the world to sit out. You know, I mean, uh, Nojel Eastern is another example of that who transferred within the Big Ten from Purdue to Michigan, and you know I don't know how his there's no way he has a case either to play right away, uh, and that would be actually a two-year commitment by Michigan for one year because he's a junior, but uh, you know what's his I mean Jawan Howard's still there, he's not transferring to a to closer to home because he's from Chicago, and going to to Ann Arbor and. So there's no ill relatives. So I don't see how he'd have any case to say that he should play right away. Uh and yet all these guys if that's in their ear of, you know, hey, we should be on to play right away.
2: All crazy stuff, Andy. Last quick one for you. It seems like you may actually have more work going on now to keep up with all the news than when when College Hoops was actually functioning. Um, uh, but I don't have you even had any free time during quarantine? What what is quarantine? Andy Katz looked like? any Anything special you picked up or any cool hobbies you've been doing when you're not working?
1: So, it's funny you say that, Kim, but yes, I have actually, from the various outlets, and I was very fortunate that back in January, uh, everyone, uh, the, the crew down at Turner had come up to my house and put in like a mini studio in my basement with real lights and a camera and all that. Totally unrelated to this, obviously. And so that's been a... I mean, that's been a godsend for me because I've been able to do all this stuff uh, over the last couple of months. And now I've actually moved to, to, we have a house in Rhode Island. So I'm now in Rhode Island and I've got like a portable unit. So I'm using that. But uh, the two things I have taken up is um, one of my biggest regrets in life was when I was in probably seventh grade, I stopped playing the guitar. And so my daughter plays. And so now I'm taking lessons with her teacher through zoom oh wow and and then uh, and then um uh, you know i I used to know um Spanish very well and could survive in that you know situation where if it's only spanish uh but I really needed a refresher, so I've been doing online Spanish to just get better and better uh so that's been the sort of the two things I've been doing uh on the side.
2: Love that! I've that? I was doing a little Spanish myself too. I've gotten away from it the last few weeks. I got to get back. But okay, Andy Katz, the guitar man. We are we're gonna be looking out for this once the season gets back. Maybe a little uh, national anthem performance.
1: Yeah. Hey, I start I started easy with like Yankee Doodle Dandy, but you know, I <laughs> well, just want to get some, I wanted to get some confidence first. You're getting right
0: into form for a Fourth of July concert, and you and your daughter. There might be something in the works for a Father's Day piece here.
1: Well, she sings, I don't sing. So uh yeah, Fine, I mean, you but can she's play better at all this. You know, I hope the Cat's so, Quartet.
0: Cat's <laughs> yeah. Quartet
2: has a ring ring to it. If you can find two more, maybe John and I can hop in.
0: <laughs> 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 and congratulations to your daughter on her high school graduation. I know she's heading to Northwestern as well. That's awesome. Oh yeah, we're let's just waiting to Cats. find out for
1: them. Yes. We're just waiting for them to hopefully put together their proposal of what they're going to plan on doing. But, uh, uh, you know, all these other schools, they start later. They're the quarter system. So we're, mm-hmm. you know, we're just hoping that they do the same thing everyone else is doing and she can be on campus.
0: Read him, listen to him, watch him at the Andy Cats on Twitter, head to NCAA.com for all of his great content as well. Andy, stay safe, stay healthy. Thanks for the time. All
1: right. Thanks guys.
0: Always great to talk with our friend Andy Katz and Kim. I was thinking about this as he was going through the different details. There's still such a level of murkiness with what college sports are going to look like. We have some pro sports leagues starting to announce their plans, the NHL putting out a plan, but it's so broad, training camps wouldn't start until at least July 1. Having said all this, all I can think of during our conversation is how crucial of a summer this was for the NCAA. This was supposed to be a summer where they resolved the transfer issue. This was supposed to be a summer where they really made that hedgeway they needed to with name, image, and likeness. And they've made announcements, but that's taken a complete backseat because you've got to focus on what's going on in the upcoming year. What was your takeaway from what Andy had to say?
2: I think kind of just what you said there, John, is that there it's like a logistical nightmare to figure out Not just in sports, but so many aspects of our lives, schools, uh, parks, how everything is going to somehow return in this a new normal, as everyone says, in a way that's safe. And just a couple of things we quickly mentioned off the air when it comes to sports, we're seeing big time football schools, NFL stadiums starting to say, oh, we're only going to sell half the tickets. Well, well, to me, I mean, does it really make that big of a difference if there are 30,000 fans versus 60,000? That's 30,000 people that could still, if one of those people has COVID-19, that's 30,000 people that you can spread it to. Uh, so the things with, with fans is, is very interesting to see what's going to happen there. I know Andy mentioned fans wearing masks. I know you mentioned words, We're seeing people all over the country who refuse to even wear a mask on a crowded street in New York City. So how do you enforce that? There is just going to be so much to try and iron out here, John. It's in every aspect of sport college pro it's it's going to take a lot is all i keep thinking i don't know how it's all going to come together we we all hope it does in some capacity but as we've you know been saying months and months safety and health it has to be the number one priority
0: has to be the number one priority there has to be an acceptance that someone could contract coronavirus and there's a contingency plan in place to continue playing games. And I think that we've all come to that conclusion that resuming sports, there's always a threat out there. There is a risk factor. And there is that media hysteria that can get created, like we saw with Rudy Gobert last March, that then shut everything down. It was like a domino effect. Well, I think what leagues are trying to to form is that assurance to its players and to its coaches that, hey, we've got a plan in place. If somebody contracts the virus, we are not going to totally shut down. We have got to adjust to this new norm and continue to live. Uh, until those things are materially in play and agreed upon by all parties, then it's it's a challenge to resume. And, and in the world of college athletics, where you might have the Southeastern Conference's coaches say, we're playing football and we're doing it at all costs. What, what also has to be considered is, number one, how many people it takes to run a basketball, football program, football particularly because you're talking about 100 players uh, and then all the support staff and whatnot. But also, folks, remember, we're talking college hoops primarily on this podcast. And in that regard, college basketball benefits because it doesn't start up until November and we'll have several models to work off of. But in terms of the world of college athletics, you can't have college football and not have college soccer, college cross-country, college golf, and those other sports. Uh, title IX is something that has to be considered here, and that's why there's just so many things that have to be worked out for us to get to a commonality. And that's why I think that the pro sports models are vital. They're vital for then colleges to be able to find a way to follow.
2: And, John, one one other thing that I think is going to be big in all of this and a return is the mental health of student athletes and professional athletes. One in adjusting back to their sport, not not they're not used to not being at the top of their game. It's going to be hard to kind of have to start back at square one in terms of conditioning, strength, skill. And then something struck with me when we were talking to Andy and he talked about winter break for, for men's and women's college basketball players. And the potential discussion that schools are now going to start winter break right after Thanksgiving. And that struck a chord with me because as a, as a former Division One basketball player, I can tell you that that winter break period where you are the only student on campus is about as hard as it gets mentally, you know, borderline depressing. It's just especially if you're on a basketball team, there's only... 11 or 12 of you on the team you're with the same people every day Um, for me as a freshman at Penn they actually shut down the freshman dorm so me and my freshman teammates literally had to move out to a teammate's apartment and sleep on their couch for four weeks Um, so just for me thinking that wow student athletes are now going to have to be alone for six seven weeks and then he was talking about you know they don't want them to go home and see their families for three days like if I had to go through that stretch and not see my family I, I wouldn't have made it like you you have to see your family during that time so I think the the mental well-being of student athletes is going to be something that they're really going to have to monitor especially at a time like that for men's and women's basketball players
0: a fluid situation and a lot to to get to. A lot to look forward to, though, because we're talking about solutions. We're talking about potential routes to take and resume and get everything started. So that is the good news, but there's still so much that has to get figured out. Another episode of Full Court Press with Fanton Adams is in the books. Thanks again to Andy Katz for spending some time with us. Thanks also to our producer, Mike Lieber, as well as Bruce Bernstein for all of their help. Ben Wolfen ends the show, and we appreciate his contributions. Please check out our other Pure Hoops media shows.
2: Catch and Shoot 2.0 with Aaron Berlin and Otto Strong drops each Wednesday. On Thursdays, Monica McNutt comes by with buckets, boards, and blocks. On Fridays, it's the Pure Hoops podcast with BJ Armstrong and Eric Newman. The Mike Wise Show drops every Monday and John and I always back on Tuesdays with Full Court Press. So please check them all out, download them, rate and review them. Most of all, enjoy them. So please continue to stay safe as we start to see what it might look like to return to sports. Thank you all for your continued support. We will see you next week on Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams.
1: Full Court Press with Fanta and Adams is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.